Welcome. If you're a woman who has a sense that there's more out there for you, you're in the right place. I'm Whitney Baker, host of the Electric Ideas podcast. Somewhere along the line of working kids, life carried on, but I lost track of my truth. I'm on a reflective journey, and that's what this podcast is all about. Each week, I interview a woman who is lighting her own path and offering others hope. Before our conversation ends, we'll share a reflective question for you to explore. Sometimes all we need is a jolt, a fresh idea, an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Welcome back to Electric Ideas. Today's guest is clinical psychologist, Dr. Leah Katz. Today, we're discussing her book. It's called Gutsy, Mindfulness Practices for Everyday Bravery. Dr. Katz has her own practice, and beyond conventional therapy, she incorporates a lot of mindfulness techniques into her therapeutic work. Dr. Katz also is a writer for Psychology Today and speaks all over the country about women's mental health. I hope this conversation invites you to stop and question where fear might be holding you back from living a bigger, more connected, more fulfilled life. So let's get into it. All right, Dr. Katz, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I am excited because there is so much to cover in your book. I have an interesting place that stood out to me where I want to start, though. So in your book, you reference quite a bit. I noticed having an opportunity to go to some pretty transformative retreats. Mm -hmm. And in one of the retreats, you said you had an opportunity to name yourself. Mm. The name you gave yourself was Quiet Fire. I'm wondering if you can just tell us a little bit about this experience and if you think that name still represents you. Oh, I like that question. And it is a nice starting place. So that retreat that I went on was a women's retreat. It was a growth. It was a really interesting experience. And we had to choose from a list of all these kind of funky names. And that was just the one that stood out to me. And the reason why it resonated for me at the time, and it still does today in many, many ways is because I feel like it captures what being brave means to me and being brave for me, a lot of that is learning to be more mindful and present and self-aware and building compassion and the quiet fire I think captures that because the fire doesn't have to be the fire, the change, the movement we make in our life doesn't have to be. And most of the time isn't big and grand and splashy. It's quiet, you know, but it's that quiet fire that makes the most change. So that's why it stood out to me back then. And that's why it still resonates for me now. And I'm a firm believer, you know, from watching my own life evolve and change and making choices and, and just doing things, but in my clinical work, So seeing other people go through it too, that's how we make sustainable change. It's paying attention to the quiet fire, like that little burning, you know, and letting ourselves pay attention and do something about it. That actually segues beautifully into my next question, because your book, I want to share the title, Gutsy Mindfulness Practices for Everyday Bravery. Why are you calling on people to be more gutsy? And maybe you can tell us a little bit more how it's linked to mindfulness, because this was kind of a unique juxtaposition. And you explained Mm -hmm. it a little bit with quiet fire, which I loved, but tell Mm -hmm. us more. So gutsy for me, I think really was a reflection on different changes that I made in my life that felt very brave. And that would have definitely felt unattainable for me at different stages in my life, you know, going back 10 years or 15 years, I never would have thought these changes were possible for me because they felt so scary. And mindfulness in my own life. And, you know, it's now what I coach people around and I bring into the clinical work that I do too, is a huge foundation of 
me watching myself access more gutsiness or bravery and watching other people do the same. And it's one of these counterintuitive things, I think, for a lot of people, because when we hear the word mindfulness, a lot of us think about just like going into this Zen mode and finding peace and relaxation and turning off our thoughts. And that's so completely not what it is. It's learning to get quiet and pay attention to what is to learn to pay attention in this really compassionate way to the busyness of our brains, not making it go quiet and not needing to make anything go away. But when we bring attention and compassion to what we find, we, I think, could find out that we're so much more capable of making big changes in our life than we ever thought possible. And that's what I experienced in my own life. I know one of the things you posit in the book is that it's brave to pursue our big goals and dreams, that that is an act of bravery. And I'm just wondering, what does the latest science say about pursuing our goals and dreams? I mean, so I don't know what the most recent science says necessarily, but in my book, I quote a lot of scientific studies and they pretty, I mean, science is so interesting because you can't really ever say definitively because there's always going to be science studies that say something else. But the science studies that I was most intrigued by and found so interesting is the correlation between practicing mindfulness, having a mindfulness practice and bravery and being able to make movement and lead our most fulfilling and rich lives. That when we learn to get quiet with ourselves in this way that we were just talking about a minute ago, getting quiet, paying attention, not running away from what's going on inside, which is what so many of us do because it's scary to get quiet. I mean, I just just had a session about this this morning. And I think this is something that probably resonates for a lot of people, how we tend to overschedule ourselves and get super busy and feel really uncomfortable when the kids go off to camp and the house is quiet and we just don't know what to do. And it's because we've been avoiding a lot of things that are uncomfortable for us inside, whether it's uncomfortable beliefs that we have about ourselves or our lives or feelings that we're having about ourselves or our lives or thoughts that we're having. So learning to be quiet and that mindfulness piece, which is a mindfulness, mindfulness is the door opening to getting quiet with ourselves is tremendously brave. And science supports that too. That's really interesting and timely. And you also talk about, so let's say people are trying to get attuned, maybe practice mindfulness and get in touch with their inner wisdom. Oftentimes it's easy to still run into excuses, which you call in the book, which I found endearing. You call them tricky little suckers. <laughs> what do you wish women understood about excuses? I think, and this goes for excuses, but a lot of things too, that we don't need to take them for granted. That's the power in learning to slow down and just notice what we're thinking and recognize that we have more control and power over our thoughts and what we do with them than we think. So oftentimes, we have these really quick excuses. Sometimes we're not even conscious of them, right? You know, like you wake up in the morning and you think about exercising because you know, that's good for your mental health, but they're like, oh, but no, I don't know if I can do that because da, 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 da. it just happens so quick. So sometimes it's conscious, but it's so quick. We're not even really paying attention to it. And sometimes it's just sort of like an unconscious drive to avoid things. So those excuses, that's the tricky little suckers <laughs> that they're tricky because oftentimes we're not aware of them. Oftentimes there's merit to them, you know? So let's say we say, Mm, you know, I slept, I, I went to bed late last night. I don't want to wake up early this morning to exercise because I'm tired and I can use the extra sleep. Sometimes that's not an excuse. Sometimes that's what our body really needs, but sometimes that can be a very alluring excuse, make a lot of rational sense. But if we make that choice, it takes us further away from feeling good about ourselves and living the life that we really want to live as an example that can come up in so many different ways. And so 
when I was writing this book, that's why I thought it was kind of cute to start out the book with talking about reasons why I was telling myself I shouldn't write this book. And for me, those were tricky little suckers. I mean, it's amazing how often these excuses come up and how persistent they can be and really interfere with us pursuing things. So for me, I had lots of reasons why I wasn't ready to write a book yet. And those were in my head for a long time, for years before I decided to just not let them guide me. I think that something that stuck with me and I've been reflecting on since I read your book is just this fine line between discipline and self-compassion and knowing when to push ourselves and knowing when to be softer with ourselves. Uh Uh-huh. How do we litmus test ourselves and know know where we're at, how to how to act to be truly supportive of our our best selves? Yeah, I, that's a great question too and I think that's one of my favorite parts in gutsy. I have a few favorite, but I think that's one of them because I feel like if we err on the side of discipline, then we run into harshness and rigidity and that acts as a barrier in us pursuing the things that we really want to pursue. And, you know, for people who are listening to this, we probably all can think of things right now that maybe we're doing that with ourselves a little bit. Like I know for myself, it comes up a lot. I don't know why exercise is on my mind this morning, but it is. (laughs) So I'll go with it. But if I tell myself, okay, I'm going to do a 30 minute run, but it has to be a good run for me to do the run. And I have to, you know, PR today or not even PR, but do as well as I did yesterday, then I'm not going to do it. Like the chances of me falling into like that crevice of excuses is much greater. So the rigidity can act as a barrier. That's a discipline, you know, like if it's only discipline that can be rigidity and that's not good. But then if it's only kindness, then well, we're losing our way too, you know, because then it's like, well, yeah, I should sleep some more today and tomorrow and the next day. And I don't know if, you know, I really, you know, so if we're only practicing kindness and I want this to be like not taken out of context because kindness is so, so important, but if it's only that, then we're self-indulgent and we're also losing our way. We're not doing the things that would give us meaning and value because the reality is, and I think this is something we all know on some level, the things that are meaningful for us to pursue that give us the most meaning are oftentimes hard and scary and take us out of our comfort zones. So we really need to find the balance in that equation when to have discipline, you know, so I'm, I'm going to do this because I know it's good for me. And a lot of that I think is really finding the intrinsic value in it. Why am I doing this? And how I'm just going to, I'm going to do it, but how can I do it coming from the foundation of self-kindness? I'm not doing it in a way that's rigid. So going back to the exercise example, I'm going to go, I'm going to wake up and do my run. I'm going to do it in a way that feels good for my body this morning. And I'm going to keep that goal. So I'm not going to, you know, I set 30 minutes aside to do this. I'm going to do 30 minutes, even if I walk some of the time, you know, you know, I'm not gonna say like, oh, 15 minutes in, I'm done. If it's coming from that place of like that overindulgence side, I don't really need that time. Yeah, that's really helpful in terms of the balance. And it's case by case, day by day, right? <laughs> of, of course, you know, and that's the piece that, you know, like, that's why mindfulness is so meaningful to me in my own life, because it is day by day, moment by moment, what does this body need right now? And that changes all the time, you know, so it's never coming up with some formula that's going to work all the time. I think like the only formula that really works all the time, or as much of it as we can is like developing more of this presence with ourselves, like what's going on for my body, what's going on in my thoughts, learning to develop self-trust, trusting our wisdom and our gut reaction, and then making a decision based off of that. While we're on the kind of self-kindness, self-compassion piece of this, I wanted to talk a little bit about a phrase that you brought up in the book, which I thought was particularly lovely. And it was a question that you ask yourself often, and that is, will you take me as I am? Mm, Yeah, 
I'm wondering yeah. if you can just provide some context around this and thoughts on how women might leverage this phrase in their own lives, maybe in the situations that we were just referencing. Mm-hmm. So this phrase came from a book that I read by Stephen Hayes, who's the founder of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, many, many years ago. It was actually a workbook that my own therapist recommended that I read because of things that I was dealing with in my life. And I picked it up. And I think that was probably one of the first times that a self-help book changed me so much. And so I don't know where exactly it was in that book, but he quotes this beautiful phrase that really resonated for me at the time. And I still today, like I still, you know, probably comes up for me a few times a week. Will you take me in as I am? And what that question means is it's a question we ask ourselves and it's a question we ask ourselves in particularly vulnerable moments where we're doing something that feels scary or hard, or we're having hard feelings about ourselves, or our kid just had a big tantrum and we're feeling really bad about our parenting and how we manage that situation with our child or whatever it means, you know, different things for different people, but to be able to pause and not get swept away by the thoughts of, why did I do this? And I'm such a bad mom, or I don't think I can do this. This is too hard for me, whatever those thoughts are. Cause those thoughts are so distracting and so attractive. Like they're so like, they really can draw us in because it just sort of like keeps us in that moment to say, well, like, can I take myself in as I am? Can I just be here now with this, with whatever is here for me? So it's a way of getting under the stormy waters. You know, like when you watch the ocean in a storm, the top of the ocean is stormy and underneath it's calm. So this question helps us notice the storm. Okay. There's stuff going on around me. My kid is having a hard time. I'm having a hard time because of that. Can I just drop a little deeper and find some calm within me? Can I take myself in as I am in this moment with this feeling that I'm having with this hard thought that I'm having, can I just let it be? And it's like, kind of like a period at the end of the sentence. Like I don't need to keep on going with that hard thought and let it snowball and then make me feel even worse about myself and then make decisions based off of that for the rest of the day. Can I just be here now, right now? You know, I mentioned in the book, like some ways that I used to use this a lot is when I would have a tough session in the beginning days of being a therapist, I would have sessions that were, you know, more of them sessions that felt intimidating or scary or clients that would challenge me. And I so clearly remember walking down the hall of the practice that I was working at the time. Cause I had this long call from my office to the waiting room that I have to walk back with the client back to my office. So it felt very long and just saying, can I, can I take myself in as I am in this moment, like with feeling vulnerable, with feeling nervous, can I just be okay? I want to reflect that back to you just a little bit. Repeat the phrase, will you take me as I am? Because what's coming up for me too, is it such a powerful pattern interrupt Mm -hmm. instead of running with these stories and harshness Mm -hmm. that we're all, you know, it it is easy to spiral and it's a pause and a a chance to kind of be an observer more of the situation versus getting emotionally entangled. Mm -hmm. So that separately, I think is a great way to use that phrase. Totally. And actually, now that you're saying that, you know, another way of, of phrasing that or jumping off of what you just said is it's an acceptance technique. You know, it's, I'm okay. Even when the water around me is stormy, I'm okay. I'm not only okay when everything around me is going well and everything's going great. My kids are super well-behaved and I did a really great job during this session or this interview. I can be okay with whatever circumstances are here for me now. Yeah. Kind of like I'm okay, even though things aren't perfect right now. Not that they ever are, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Right. Like even though, even when it's hard, because life is hard and life is hard for everyone at different moments. And I think that there's something very normalizing and just naming that that's part what it means to be alive and to be human. 
Yeah. Well, in contrast to that, that's so beautiful and, and kind of lofty to reflect on. You also gave some more interesting, just practical ways to live with greater self-compassion. And in one of the examples, you encourage readers to be more mindful about even how they're going through their personal hygiene routine. Mm-hmm. And I thought of you when I was putting on my lotion today. So <laughs> tell everybody about this. <laughs> yeah. So that was, I know. And that's, a, I love that part because it, it was like, for me, it was a pivot in my own life. So some of the stories that I put in the book were real aha moments for me that led to a profound shift in how I do things. So it's not, I mean, I think those aha moments are really real that we can have them and they really can create this eye-opening way of relating to experiences that we've always had and they last. So for me, it was on this first, I think it was the first meditation retreat I ever went on. And there was a silent portion of the retreat. And it's interesting because when you go on meditation retreats and there's silence, it's not just not talking. It's also not making eye contact and not reading anything and keeping your eyes sort of like diverted down so that you are really having this very internal experience and really giving you the opportunity to be with yourself and notice what comes up for you in terms of your behavior patterns, in terms of the thoughts that come up for you, all of that. So in the middle of a silent portion of the retreat that I was on, I was washing my face in the morning as I always had, you know, and how harsh I was being with my own face, you know, so I'd put the water on. It was cold. Didn't give it any, you know, it just takes 30 seconds for it to warm up. But I was like in a rush. I was cold water, put my stuff, my cleanser on my face. And it was like all very rushed and harsh. And in that moment, I really realized like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is my face. This is my face that I was born with. This is the one that I was given for my whole life. And it does so much for me. It deserves more tenderness and compassion than I'm giving it, you know, and it was really a profound moment for me. And still, I still think about it, you know, like in times that I'm rushed and I'm tempted to be quick and just like, sort of like put on the cold water and like to slow it down, even just a fraction of a second. It's, it's not about time, you know, and then people will say, well, I don't have time. And I am rushed in the morning. I'm getting my kids out the door and I'm getting to work. And of course that's totally true, but being compassionate with ourselves does not have to take extra time. It can take like a little, like a fraction of a second. It's just how we are. So even if you don't have time to let the water warm up that morning, you can still put that cleanser on in a soft way and wash it off in a soft way. And maybe like, you know, pat your face for a second and be thankful for it. Yeah. The gratitude piece kind of started to weave in there too. How do you practice gratitude in your day to day? Yeah. So I try and start my day off with gratitude. I don't always do it. I always like try and be like very authentic in podcasts, you know, like I, this, I try to do this and sometimes in my life I'm better about really doing it every day. And sometimes, you know, it happens a few times a week, but what I do is I try and like have my quiet time in the morning and I'll usually get a cup of coffee and I write down five things that I'm grateful for. And sometimes they're silly little things that they seem silly, super, you know, super like the fact that like this coffee is like the great temperature, like it's not too hot and it's not cold. I'm really grateful for that in this moment. And sometimes they're way more profound. Like I'm grateful for my family's health. And I think that's an important piece about gratitude. We can find it in so many different ways if we open our eyes up to it. And it can be the smallest little things and it can be really profound things. But for me, like that's a practice. And then like really trying to bring in gratitude throughout my day. So for example, I know we've been talking about exercise. Like after after I exercise, I'll try and like look at the part of my body that just exercise and say, thank you. You know, for some people, this might feel a little, like a little too weird and that's okay. You can adapt it and make it yours. But like, if I lifted weights, look at my arms and say, thanks guys, you just worked really hard. And I'm really grateful that you did that for me. So for me, that's a couple of examples of how I bring it in. But I think that we can like, who's ever listening to this, think about, okay, well, what am, what am I doing during my day today? How can I create routines of gratitude into my, into my day? Like this 
writing down, jotting down a few things that you're grateful for in the morning and throughout your day, like just bringing more of this noticing to the things that you have around you that you really are grateful for, but you're busy, you know, and so you're not really noticing it or paying enough attention to it. I like that example you gave because in the women I work with, time is definitely the number one excuse. And I love learning about practices that can just fold into what we're already doing, like the gratitude. It doesn't take any more time for you to thank your body while you're putting away your mat or whatever you're doing. Right, exactly. Or, you know, drinking water, you know, like just being really grateful that like you have this like really yummy, delicious, fresh water to drink and that you remember to drink it. You can bring it in all over. Do you have one or two additional mindfulness practices that your clients usually kind of light up about exploring in their day-to-day lives that you also maybe think are a little bit brave since that's our topic? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so again, like talking about mindfulness, I think anytime that we practice it, we're being brave. However, there's so many different ways we can practice mindfulness. And in a nutshell, it's really bringing our attention to any one of our senses or our breathing. So our five senses or our breathing, noticing what we're experiencing in that domain and not judging ourselves for what we notice. And I think anytime that we really pause and get quiet with ourselves, it's brave. And I notice this in my own life too. Every time and I try and do some mindfulness meditation every day, it's hard to do it sometimes, especially when there's like a lot going on. And I know it's going to be uncomfortable to sit with myself because I'm going to be like really spending time with what's brewing inside. And it's easier for me to just get busy. So anytime we carve out time to be with ourselves and is brave. And so one exercise that I really, really like a lot, and I do it myself and I use it with my clients and my clinical work, because I think it really covers more than than like, quote unquote, like just mindfulness. It's not just mindfulness. It, it gives us more than that, but it's feeling your feet on the floor. And we can maybe even try this together right now for a minute. If you want sure, to. <laughs> I'd love to. So if you just put our feet on the floor and just notice what they're making contact with. So noticing if it's hard or soft sensations of temperature that might be here for you and your feet. So again, it's not thinking about the experience, but it's really noticing the experience of what your feet are feeling. And now noticing that they're making contact with the ground and feeling supported by being held then that kind of way, whether it's the floor that you're on and ultimately being held by the earth, just noticing that. And whenever you're ready, you can open your eyes. That's beautiful. And I encourage people, one of the things I haven't talked about for a while on the podcast, but I'll I'll mention here because I think this would be a perfect insert. I kind of practice mini peace breaks throughout my day sometimes, Mm -hmm. especially as a parent, you know, just Mm -hmm. to take even one or two minutes to transition, to have a stop and a start. I think it can be transformative for women so that the energy of whatever is happening with work Mm -hmm. or anything, you know, running errands, whatever you're doing just doesn't totally bleed. So I feel like that could be something you could practice even, even if you're in the car waiting for your kid to come out of the building, that would be great. I think that's beautiful. And this really could be one of those things. Like I use this all the time, just feeling my feet on the floor. I'll do it before I have to do something I feel nervous to do. And the reason why I said before, it's like more complicated than just a mindfulness because it is mindfulness because I'm paying attention to my feet, but I'm also letting myself recognize my groundedness that I'm being held. I'm, I'm here. I'm safe. You know, cause sometimes like when we feel anxious, our thoughts can go back in the past of situations we're being reminded of, or I'm here. I'm okay. I'm being held. And so that would be a great thing to do as a, like a little bit of a reset in between things. And it's so quick. Again, it's like not a time thing. We did a little bit of a longer one, but can literally, and I do this all the time, like just like a very quick, like, 
I'm in my feet. Okay. <laughs> it can be so quick. And so grounding. Speaking of centering, I know that in the book, you talked about your own trifecta for centering. <laughs> and it was three things that you always prioritize. And I think this is such the juicy part of life that we all get to explore and figure it out. That said, as someone like you who works with clients and is a mindfulness practitioner and has explored so much, I feel like it's inspirational just to hear like what's working for you. Yeah. And so the things that work for me are really like science-based. And I think that they would probably work for anyone who wanted to try them. And that's where like what we were talking about earlier, like discipline and kindness come in because it's I, and I recognize it in my own life too, being a busy person and raising kids and working and all the things that, you know, we're all doing. It's hard to prioritize it sometimes and sometimes you won't and that's okay. And actually it's a piece of staying anchored to it. So the three things that I talk about, I talk about this in my therapy work too. It's sort of like this triangle of wellness, making sure we're eating, you know, enough like healthy, yummy, delicious, nutritious food and we're moving our bodies. I think I may have even put in the book exercise, but like, I like the word movement better because it doesn't have to be like a hardcore exercise at all. Like just moving our bodies like to move, you know, so moving our bodies and then sleep, really trying to monitor our sleep and figure out how to get good sleep and how to set boundaries around sleep. And I know depending on where people are in their lives and who else is depending on them in the middle of the night, if you have little ones, sometimes we have less control over that, but it's finding the places where we do have control over that and trying to anchor in that. And those three things, I mean, I think it really is a science. Like when we are intentional about those three things and knowing that sometimes, like I said before, it's okay. Like you're not going to always get it every day. You're not going to hit all three every day, but trying to be more intentional and bringing them into our lives and boundary around them is important. You mentioned that you had a couple favorite parts of the book. I know I'm hitting up against time, but is there one more favorite that I didn't get a chance to ask about that you might want to share for my listeners? Yes, actually. Uh, thanks for asking that question. And this was towards the very end of the book. And this, you know, I'll just, I'll leave it with this, but there's a part where I talk about our childhoods and making sense of having difficulties growing up and understanding how it impacts us today. And a phrase that I wrote in the book that I still think about in my own life is when we're processing old things, it wasn't okay. And that's okay. And I'm okay. And what I mean by that is it wasn't okay. Like that's a piece of like validation and empathy, you know? So, and this can be childhood, childhoods, but it can be things that happen to us in adulthood too, right? Like it wasn't okay. Like we need to give ourselves that to work through hard things and to walk through them, the validation that it wasn't okay. And that's okay. So this is a hard one, but this is like a big part of healing and growth. I need to be okay with the things that happen. Not okay is, and I'm glad that they happen, or I, I wish that they didn't happen, but I'm okay with the fact that they happen because I can't change it. So that's acceptance, right? Like it's okay to have this walk in this life and have painful, hard things happen. That's okay. And I'm okay, you know, and I'm okay. Like I, I can learn to be okay with the hard things that happen and the things I can change and the acceptance piece. And I'm okay. Like I'm still whole and I'm still complete. And none of those hard experiences ever took any of that away. And I think that that's probably one of the things that like speaks most to me in my book. <laughs> I'm so glad that you had a chance to share that. Thank you. I always end my episodes with a reflective question. And for you, when it comes to being brave and gutsy and also mindfulness, what's one question women could be asking themselves more? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think that like this kind of summarizes what we've been talking about today, but what areas of my life 
am I not paying attention to enough that I can start paying attention to more, you know? So what areas in my life are causing me pain or distress that I, I'm just sort of putting on the side. I'm white knuckling myself through them. Like I'm just, okay, well, I'll just get through it that I can pay attention to more and letting ourselves open up to that question, which can feel really scary because then it's like almost taking some accountability for the hard stuff, but could really lead to amazing movement. Beautiful. Dr. Katz, I know that people are going to want to find you, follow you, read your book. So where can we find you? Okay. So I am on Instagram often. I share mental health tidbits. My Instagram handles at Dr. Leah Katz. So it's DR period, L-E-A-H, Katz, K-A-T-Z. And my website's drleahkatz.com. So there's a lot of information about my book and my, you know, just different things about me on that website. Wonderful. As always, we'll make sure to capture that in the show notes so people can just click easily. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Oh, thank you. This was so great. I'm so glad you joined me today. If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at at WhitneyWoman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.